listening to Unshaken, a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church, and I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's special episode in our special bonus season. It is our season that we're calling Unshaken Moms, and all of these talks have been given at our Mom to Mom Ministry at Christ the Word Church. Um, so it's really great that we have a chance to sit down and talk a little bit about some of the topics that are important to mothers. And since we're able to do that at our church, we thought it'd be great to throw these onto our podcast so that all moms anywhere can listen and be encouraged. Be sure you subscribe to Unshaken so you're able to get notifications of all of our podcast episodes, whether they're the regularly scheduled episodes or maybe even some bonus ones throughout the season. And this particular season, as I mentioned, is a bonus entire season. So there's 12 of these special episodes. But on Thursdays every week, we drop our regularly scheduled episode. And our regular season is all about living in reality. So you will not want to miss that. And sometimes our reality is being a mother. You can also reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com if you have any thoughts, questions, comments. I'd love to hear from you, and I would love to talk back and forth about what do you want to hear on the podcast. Now, today's talk is called Mitigating Meanies. Okay, isn't that a great title? I mean, what alliteration and creativity. But the truth is, there are meanies in our lives, right? And we've probably all been at times bullied in some way by someone, but maybe we've also been the bully. So today, Aaliyah Bailey is going to walk us through how we can help our kids deal with mean kids and how we can help them not be the mean kid. Let's jump right in and listen. Good to see all of you, though I have to admit I'm probably more comfortable seeing you from like one of those middle tables than up here. But um, this morning, like Andrea said, we're going to be talking about mitigating meanies. To start, I thought that it would be helpful to talk about a basic definition of meanness, of unkindness. So I'd like each of you to take just a second and think of a particular person that you encountered in your growing up years that you considered to be mean. One particular person. Does everybody have somebody? Is it easy to think of somebody? So if we were to take a sample of all of these people, there would be a wide variety. Um, Maybe you thought of somebody who fits the definition of the stereotypical recess bully, big and gruff, used intimidation to scare kids, Or maybe you thought of that snooty popular junior high girl, the one who always had somebody to talk to, always looked good, and oftentimes had a perfectly timed snide comment. I remember in junior high, sitting in my chair, and this girl turned around and looked at me and said, you do know that you have a mustache, right? (laughs) And I can laugh about it now, but at the time, I could not. Maybe, though, when I asked you to think of a particular mean person, you thought of um, a girl in high school who you realized at some point or another always acted like she was your friend when you were with her, but when you were away or when she was away, she gossiped and she lied about you. Or maybe you thought of a manipulative boyfriend or that kid who once pushed you off your bike. Now, the examples that I've given thus far have been teenagers or younger peers, but when I asked you to think of a mean person that you encountered growing up, it's probably likely that some of you thought of an adult. Maybe some people thought of a teacher who was similar to the recess bully, or very likely some people even thought of a parent. But the point is, meanness can take many forms. Physical pushing and hitting, verbal insults, gossiping, emotional manipulation, exclusion and clicks, rejection, mocking, the list just goes on and on. So what is going, what, what do all of these mean acts have in common? 
What is going on in the heart of each person committing them? Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now these verses describe the opposite of meanness. A mean or an unkind child or adult acts out of selfishness and conceit. With pride, they regard themselves as more important than others. They look out for their own personal interests over all else. Mean words and actions come out of a proud and self-centered heart that cares more about its own interests than those of others. Now, I'd like to talk about meanness from kind of two different angles this morning. First, I want us to think about our response as mothers when our children are the recipients or the victims of unkindness. After that, I will address our duty and response as mothers when we consider that our own children are sometimes the mean ones. Whether your kids are homeschooled, attend a public school, a private school, or are young enough that their only real peer age interaction happens in the nursery, um, they're going to experience meanness. Why is that? Well, if we remember that meanness is something that is done out of selfish ambition, it shouldn't really surprise us. From the youngest age, people everywhere want what they want, and they're going to do what they have to to get it. We have this fleshly desire to serve ourselves above all else. So the two-year-old shoves the other two-year-old to the ground for the only, only toy truck. And the high school girl doesn't even consider that the girl at the other end of the table might be lonely, as long as she herself has someone to talk to. So someone is being mean to your son or your daughter. Maybe you've noticed that she's being exceptionally quiet on the ride home from church. You ask her if everything's okay, and of course she says yes. At home, then, she's snappier than usual with her siblings. Again, you question her, and again, everything's fine. But eventually it comes out. The girls in Sunday school laughed at her when she was called on to read. Or they didn't talk to her, not even a single word. Or maybe it's your son. The boys his age didn't want to play with him again. As a mom, what is your response? I think for many of us, we are crushed. We're just as sad for our children as they are for themselves. We want to squeeze them tight and shield them from any and all hurt that might come their way in this world. Or maybe you aren't the type that really gets sad. Maybe you are just plain old angry. Either way, we see the problem, and we want to jump right in and fix it. We want to take away all the hurt. But is that the proper response? How should we view meanness in our children's lives? Well, I would propose that in light of scripture, we can view it as an opportunity. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, according to these verses, why should we meet trials with joy? Well, we find here an opportunity for faith to grow. The end result is maturity and strength. It isn't lacking anything. And isn't that what we want for our children and for ourselves? So what if I said this instead? Consider it pure joy, my sisters, whenever your children face trials of mean kids.
because you know that the testing of their faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that your child may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you're like me, the statement, consider it joy whenever your children face trials causes you to cringe. I mean, really, should mothers be happy when their children are suffering? Well, no, but yes. We see clearly in the Bible that the perfect parent, our Father God, has compassion on his children. Psalm 103 says that he knows how we are formed, that we are but dust. God knows our weakness, and so he cares about our suffering. He provides for us and he protects us. He loves us. And at the same time, he desires our growth in faith. The book of Ephesians says that we are to grow up in every way into Jesus Christ. And we know that God sent his son Jesus to earth to suffer for our sake. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. God does not shield his children from all suffering, but instead he uses that suffering as a means for growth. How can we mimic this when our children face trials, specifically those brought on by mean kids? First, we must comfort them. The Apostle Paul calls our Heavenly Father the God of all comfort. He wants his children to take comfort. All throughout scripture, we find promises of hope and love. We as mothers have been created to be nurturers and comforters, and that is a good thing. But there is more than one type of comfort. Before Jesus was crucified, he spent time encouraging and comforting his disciples. He knew that they were about to face many trials, so he told them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How could Jesus expect his disciples to have peace and comfort knowing that he was going to be put to death, they would be scattered, and eventually many of them would even give their lives for his cause? We see here a contrast between the peace and comfort of the world and the peace and comfort of Christ. The peace that, as scripture says, surpasses understanding. So how are they different? What is Jesus' comfort? From the time that I was a toddler up through maybe a handful of years ago, I was the recipient of um, a lot of unkindness, a lot of meanness from a certain girl in my life. Um, When we were young, the meanness kind of just took the form of a lot of bossiness and teasing. We, um, I remember we used to play this game called Jeeves, and I was Jeeves, the butler. And um, I would pull this girl and my sister around in a wagon um, while being made fun of and bossed around by my masters for what felt like ours. And that was kind of the way we played growing up. Um, So as we got older, things escalated. Um, She was very intimidating. There was a lot of manipulation. Um, I was probably gullible, but she was good at gaining my trust for a time to then betray it. She was also good at making me feel guilty for things, a lot of them things that I wasn't um, in any control of. Um, The meanness, meanness kind of climaxed shortly into my early 20s, um, when she really continued to do all she could to hurt me um, at a time when we were both grieving over the death of someone that we loved. But I think what made this girl really mean was that she wasn't just a girl down the street or a girl in a class. She was a lot closer than that. 
Not only was she closer than that, but her meanness wasn't just incidental. It wasn't just that she was like this to everyone. I saw her be kind to people, like my sister even. But she very particularly didn't like me for a variety of reasons, and she really particularly wanted me to suffer. So, now why do I tell you that? Um, As I was thinking through how to talk about Jesus' comfort, I really kept leaving it and coming back. I couldn't think of a better way to do it than to tell you about how I was comforted comforted in the midst of very serious unkindness. Um... Now, growing up, I didn't really tell anybody about the way this girl treated me. Um, I think my mom probably saw bits of it, but she was largely unaware. And so I didn't really open myself up to the possibility of the comfort she would have offered. I did look for other forms of comfort, though. I tried to avoid being with her. I tried to tell myself that her opinion didn't really matter anyway. Lots of other people did care about me, so what did I need her for? I tried to never think about her or the things that she had said and done. For a time, I tried fighting back. I tried escaping through friends and entertainment. And I think a lot of these are ways that we as moms might be wanting to offer our children comfort. But the problem was, it didn't really change anything. She had said and done the things, and they were mean, and I was angry, and I was hurting. Even years after I had last spoken to her, while I was trying to not think about her, she would pop into my thoughts and even come back in dreams. But I have found comfort. At a certain point, I was challenged to really forgive this woman. Now, I would have always said that I already had. And I think that I had started down that road. But in the Bible, we learned that real forgiveness, God's forgiveness, is complete. He separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. That is the forgiveness that we should imitate. Had I forgiven her in that way, No, no, I hadn't. I could still seethe with anger when I considered the last words she spoke to me. And I still, my greatest desire was to never see her face again. So I sought God, and he worked in me. And I was so grateful as I considered who I was. I was a daughter of God. He is completely blameless, and he has loved and forgiven me, a sinner. So who was I to withhold forgiveness from someone else? And that is where I ended up finding comfort. That is the comfort that Jesus left for his disciples and for us. He gives us security as God's children, and he offers us forgiveness. So back to our children. Let's think about the way we comfort them. Does the comfort that we offer lead to self-pity, pride, bitterness, anger, more sadness? That is the comfort that the world offers. Or does it lead to gratitude and humility, compassion and security in who they are in Christ? That is the comfort that Christ offers. Do we know that comfort ourselves? If our children are going to grow in the face of trials, first, we must comfort them with Christ's comfort. Second, we must teach them how to respond to mean treatment. I think that much of that work is done by example. So how do our children see us respond to conflict? Do we respond to the rude cashier with snippy comments? Our children are hearing us. Do we respond to conflict with our husbands with bitterness? Our children are soaking that in. Um, My five-year-old hit a little bit of a milestone recently. He had just received a Lego gift for his birthday. And I told him that we would work on building it the next morning. 
Then it was one of those mornings where nothing really goes quite right. I woke up late and I was tired. My kids woke up early and they were full of energy. My shower was interrupted a few too many times. I had a headache and I was tired. Micaiah, though, my five-year-old, reminded me that I had told him we would work on building this new Lego ship. So I opened up the box and I found a lot of pieces. And I knew that there was going to be a lot of pieces. It says the number on the box. But I would have thought that these pieces would have been separated or, or sorted into bags corresponding to where they would go on this ship. Step one through five in this bag, step six through ten in this bag, and so on. But no, these pieces were spread randomly across many, many different bags. And it just so happens that every piece of this particular ship is the same color. And that makes finding each Lego piece really difficult, especially when you have two other small children on your lap looking for Lego pieces as well. I was not a happy Lego building mother, but I told myself I was keeping my word and I was building this Lego ship. And that's all that mattered to Micaiah, right? Well, later on my sister stopped over and she noticed the very partially built Lego ship. And I briefly commented on the poorly thought out packaging and the fact that they really shouldn't even market things like this for five-year-olds. And then Micaiah chimed in, yeah, my mom was really frustrated this morning. Now, how did he know that? I kept my word, and I spent 30 minutes working on that ship. And I might have told him I was tired, but I know I didn't tell him I was frustrated, which is, by the way, my code word for angry and impatient. This was the first time, to my knowledge, that my son verbalized my sin. But this wasn't the first time he noticed it or that it affected him. He has been soaking it in for five years. He's learning. This is how we respond when we wake up tired. Now, we are sinners. We sin every day, and our children are going to see us sin. That can't lead us to despair. But the question is, do our children see us practicing sin? Do I live in my frustration? Do we live in bitterness? Do we operate day in and day out with unrepented anger? Our children will mimic these things. Much of what they learn about how to respond to mean kids will be learned by observing how we as parents respond to mean adults. With that being said, though, we do have a responsibility to train our children with more straightforward instruction. So talk about different social situations. Role play with them. Remind them when you drop them off at school or Sunday school. Ask them specific questions about how things went when you pick them up. Scripture has a lot to say about how children ought to res- about how Christians, I'm sorry, ought to respond to unkind words and actions. Teach your children these verses. Purpose to have Scripture be the basis for all social interaction. Jesus was despised and rejected. How did he respond? If you aren't sure, I would encourage you to read the Gospels and talk with the discussion leader at your table. She would love to answer any questions you have, and she would love to show you where to get started. Learn about Christ and teach your children about him. So the trials that our children face, specifically the trials of mean kids, are an opportunity. They're an opportunity for us to point our children to Jesus and to take comfort in him. They're an opportunity for their faith to mature. But does that mean that there is never a time to step in and fix it? Well, there clearly are times. As I mentioned earlier, God does allow us to face trials, but he does also protect us. 
There are certainly times to step in and stop bullying for the protection of our children. But if your inclination is to step in every single time for every single thing, I would like you to evaluate your motives. Are we attempting to shield our children from all pain? Do you believe God when he tells us that we ought to count it all joy when we and our children face trials, which certainly will entail pain? So next, I'd like to talk a little bit about who these mean kids are anyway. Where did they come from and which families do they belong to? I'd like to ask a question. How many of us have children that tend to look out for their own interests over those of others? Can you raise your hand if you do? Does everybody? So are they chomping at the bit to give the biggest cookie to their little brother? Or are they eager to let their older sister go first in the game that they're playing? Probably not. We as sinful people are sinfully self-centered. Our children, as sinful people, are self-centered. Without God's work in our hearts, that is our state. So, could it be that your child is the mean one? While we hate to admit it, it has to be at least possible, right? Are we open to that fact? Now, I think some of us might be thinking, I'm around my kids all day, I would definitely know if they were a bully. Now, throughout this morning, I think I've been using the phrase mean child a lot, as though there's a certain class of children that's only mean all the time, and then this other class that's only nice all the time. I think we know, though, that that's not really the case. Some kids may tend towards a certain form of meanness. Other kids might not, but that doesn't mean that they are never unkind, or that they do not tend towards a different form of meanness. Um, Like Andrea mentioned, I have been blessed to work with the youth group of this church for the last five and a half years, junior high and high school girls especially. Um, It just so happens that I've also been a mom for five of those years. One of the things that I have learned from those two things in this time is how difficult it can be for us as moms to really see our kids' sin for what it is. So when I pick up Micaiah from Sunday school each week, I make a point to ask his teachers how he behaved. Um, Part of me really does want to know if there are issues that I should be working on with him. The thing is, I, I say part of me because I've realized that there is this other part of me that really doesn't want to know. One week, I asked how he was doing in the class, and his teacher responded very kindly and sweetly by telling me that she was concerned because she noticed that he was being, quote, pretty exclusive. He was purposely leaving some kids out. So, here I was, the one who asked her to tell me if there was anything I should be aware of. But do you know what I did when she told me that? Well, I scoffed. Not out loud, not at all, but I definitely scoffed. My son, exclusive. This happy, outgoing little boy, exclusive. No, you are overreacting. You don't know what you're talking about. And you know what I notice as the most common form of unkindness in our high school girls and in our junior high girls. It's something that I pray for for them all the time, and then I encourage them to fight hard against. Exclusiveness. Clicks. I see it so clearly in others, but it is so hard to see when it's our own kids. 
Let's be open to seeing our kids' meanness. And that includes all the forms of meanness that we might not classify as bullying, things like exclusivity and gossip and just rejection. Let's see it for what it is. It is selfishness. It is sin. We as moms can be so tempted to think that our kids are contaminated from the outside. If only we could keep them away from all those meanies, they would be perfect, generous, kind, little angels, right? But Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Meanness, unkindness, is self-centeredness, right? Our sons and our daughters are self-centered all by themselves. Their natural state is one of pride and concern for themselves above all else. It's no different for us as adults. When I walk into church on a Wednesday night or morning or a Sunday morning, who do I really want to talk to? Well, I want to talk to my friends, the ones that are easy for me to talk to, the ones that make me feel comfortable. I'm looking out for my own interests. If I'm going to look out for anybody else's, I have to be purposeful. I have to train myself to think in a way that is willing to give up my own comfort for the sake of someone else. And it's the same for our kids. We must make training them in selflessness a priority from the youngest age. This means that I talk with my five-year-old about who plays with who in Sunday school and after church. He does frequently play with the same group of boys. Do I make a point of training him to think about how others may be feeling? Would he like it if he were the boy that no one was playing with? What should he do about it? I point out his selfishness and my other boy's selfishness in all kinds of situations, and I show them what it means to treat other people the way that they would want to be treated. And really, my goal is to do a lot of that by example. I need to be treating other people the way that I want to be treated if I'm going to expect my children to do so. Do we have these expectations for our children? Or do we simply think that it is their time to be kids? So do we overlook their cruel treatment of their siblings? Because we know that it's just the way it is with brothers and sisters. Do we overlook their mean jokes and mocking because they don't really understand yet? Do we overlook the fact that our teenagers never speak to certain peers? Because it's okay to have best friends, right? But nowhere in the Bible do we see God making these allowances for children or teenagers. He simply says, if you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And he who mocks a poor man taunts his maker. We know that all people are born in sin. From the time that we are babies to the time that we are old, our flesh's desire is to serve our own interests. So let's pray for our kids. My sister-in-law has three very young daughters. She's told me that one of the things she prays for every single day is that they would just simply be kind. She started when her oldest was first born. Let's join her in this discipline. Because kindness, which is selflessness, is at the very foundation of Christianity. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is only God who can work in our children and in our own hearts. He's given us instructions on how to train them in his ways. 
So let's obey him and pray that he works in them and in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for being a perfect father to us. I pray that we would trust you with our children and that we would follow you as we raise them. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Now, sometimes these topics are hard to talk about, but it's always good to kind of think through these sorts of difficult situations. You know, I appreciate Aaliyah's honesty about the fact that it's likely that our kids are sometimes the ones getting picked on, and sometimes our kids are the ones being mean. Regardless, this is definitely something we can talk to our kids about and for sure pray about. Hey, thanks for listening to this special bonus episode. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand as an unshaken mom because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time.